Thanks for joining us on episode 1,368 of the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. I'm Tanya Joya, and I challenge you to invest yourself in others and develop your influence and impact in the world by using your time, talent, and treasures in living out your calling. Having the ability to recover, as I well know, and have a loving, addiction-free life is key. One way to be inspired to do that is to listen, listen carefully to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mater. I really had to work around the idolatry of my children was that I'm doing all this for my kids. I'm fixing this for my kids. I'm fixing you, husband, for my kids. So my kids will have a daddy. You know, I will make this work. So as long as I was putting them before God, I was still playing God. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In today's podcast interview, I interview Tanya Joya. I asked Tanya about her journey to discovering that the route from codependency to recovery is a family affair. I also asked Tanya to share with you how her faith deeply affected her during this discovery. And Tanya also shares how you can really support someone around you who's dealing with addiction. I've got a new book coming out called Inspired Living, Assembling the Puzzle of Your Call by Mastering Your Time, Your Talent, and Your Treasures. You can find out more about it and sign up for getting more information over at inspiredstewardship.com, Inspired Living. That's inspiredstewardship.com, Inspired Living. Tanya knows that for every addict, five people are impacted. Working with women heals a generation. She's been through all the challenges that you're familiar with. Striving for a career to make her whole, chasing a man to fulfill her, jumping unhealed into a second marriage, managing new babies, an addicted husband, as well as her own codependency, running her own business, thinking enough money would finally save her. Finally, Tanya decided she deserved more in her life from her life. She set out to learn everything, AA, Al-Anon, Celebrate Recovery, Deep Therapy, EMDR, and decided to help heal others who share similar challenges by getting her professional coaching certification. Tanya works with women who want to finally heal their marriage and family while supporting their husbands through recovery from addiction. She uses her unique Dancing with Joy process to help them become the woman her husband cherishes and the mother that places God and love first to create a truly connected, loving, and supportive family. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you, Scott. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. I shared your intro, and my running joke on intros is like sharing Instagram photos. It's always the highlights of our life as opposed to the real journey and the real story, sure. <laughs> right? That's what we all want in the intro. But tell us a little bit more about your journey and 
what brought you to work on the work that you're doing now and putting out into the world? A very personal journey, which I found has been my whole life is if it doesn't affect me, I'm probably not paying enough attention to do work around it. I, I married a beautiful, wonderful man. He had a substance use issue and I thought it was cleared up before we got married, came to learn after the second child, it had begun to degenerate even more. And it was becoming more and more public because as the world was shifting, we live in Colorado, one of the first states to come up with the medical marijuana card. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was allowing more publicity around that. And I went, wait a minute, I've got two kids now, a house, 400 chickens, a dog, two dogs at the time, and a couple horses. And I went, oh, I am confused on how we got here. What's going on? This is not my world. I I would be confused having 400 chickens, too. (laughs) (laughs) that, That was really interesting how we got there, too. And I began to dive into what what does substance use disorder look like? That's what we call it now. Back then we called it addiction. What does that look like? How does that affect us? Is this something that can be solved in just a couple days? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, like, and... I'm like, okay, you go to quick answer. Have, no. <laughs> and this will all be over and we'll just handle it. It'll be fine. And that is Tanya's big fault line. I can handle it. I will take care of it. I will make it happen. And if any of your audience has ever been in that situation, you know, that is a huge, it's a huge fall down because then you are playing God for everybody instead of letting God play, (laughs) play God, instead of letting God be God. So I got into this work for very personal reasons, trying to save myself, save my family. My guys were three and five when it really became a huge issue. And I began to learn that I also was very sick Mm. and began to work through that. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by you were very sick? So I, I, I don't speak for everyone, but I can tell you for me, I didn't get into a relationship with a long-term addict because I was well. Gotcha. I was in a point where as I began to look at my own history, I had gone through I had gone through a divorce previously. I had gone through relationships. I was looking for somebody to save me. But I was looking for somebody to save me backwards because I wanted to have full control. It's really hard to save somebody who says, no, I'm not drowning. Don't send me a life raft or anything like that. So I got this. I, I got this. Really, I've got this. I, I got it, but I need you to save me. Right. <laughs> no contradiction in that messaging whatsoever. Yeah. No, no. And relationship addiction, love addiction, those types of things would have, if you, if I'm going to give myself a label, which I don't, I say, I struggle with these things. So instead of looking at the source, instead of looking at God, instead of looking for where this could really be filled, because Scott, you and I know every human is going to fail you at some point. Mother Teresa failed somewhere. 
And she's probably our most <laughs> perfect example right there. So I was looking for resources. Now, I wasn't in, in the broader term of addiction. I wasn't looking for substance, but I used humans. Sure. Hear this. I used humans like substances. In fact, if he needed to go on a trip or one, at one point while we were still dating, he went back to Connecticut. I was still in Colorado. It was like a physical withdrawal. I'm curling up in a ball. I'm calling all the time. I'm eating <laughs> my other choice in solving this. So I was, and then by the time his addiction was getting higher and degenerating, mine was too. We are like cats and dogs. I have a pretty awful scenario where quite honestly, Scott, if I had the physical to ability to kill him, I would have done it. Luckily, I had a very, I have a very gentle husband. He very gently set me down on the ground and walked away because I was physically on him. That is what I'm talking about, how heart sick, how addiction sick I was at that mm -hmm. point. So you can imagine my poor three and five-year-old were not getting the parents they deserved. You mentioned in there uh, a little bit about the putting, quote unquote, putting ourselves in God's place. How has this journey and this experience affected your faith? And then the other direction, how has your faith affected the way you got through the experience? So I really appreciate this question. I was thinking about it the other day and it really was, God, I got this. I'll get this figured out. We're going to show up at AA Al-Anon. We're going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. It wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. And this is where, you know, <laughs> this is where God in the addiction world, there's this term called raising the bottom. Mm -hmm. and, and that's letting people suffer their own consequences instead of covering for them or doing whatever. So God began raising the bottom for me in the sense that paychecks weren't coming home and that the yelling and the screaming was getting so strong that my, my sons were really being affected by it. And it was causing a whole bunch of stress in the family. And then I had the incident where in getting ready to go to work, we were headed out to the car. He hadn't brought home milk. Like I asked him to, I physically attacked him. He did set me aside. I did go on to work, called my sponsor and she said, okay, Let's get real clear. Your children need a person at home. If you had killed him, you would have gone to prison mm -hmm. and your children would have had nobody. And that that just got that was God's two by four. She was a strong believer. She was um 20, 25 years married. She had what I wanted. Her husband had recovered 25 years, married, all that. And I went. Tanya, you are really going to put the people you love the most in jeopardy if you continue this behavior. And so that was a huge God moment for me. It didn't solve everything, but it was very clear that I had to make some changes. And so at that point, I started getting more serious about walking and talking with God. I was, I was of all things, I was reading The Purpose Driven Life <laughs> out of Saddleback Church. Mm -hmm. I was reading my Bible. I said to my sponsor, I've got to do a fourth step, which 
is getting out all the things inside. And then the fifth step is telling somebody all these things inside and getting real honest about what's going on. And I had to tell my parents. Not that my parents were going to fix it, but I thought if this gets really bad, I was earning minimal income. If this gets really bad, I'm going to need some shelter somewhere. So getting that honest with all of those people changed how I saw myself. It changed how I saw God. And my sponsor did one thing for me that changed really my whole world. After I had poured out all these horrible things that I had done to other people, my responsibilities, my things in in this relationship, after I had called her about that incident where I tried to kill my husband, she said, she looked at me in the eye and she said, I still love you. You are lovable and worthy. And it shifted my whole world. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think to so a couple of things came to mind as you were talking about that. First off is how did you come to be in that relationship with the sponsor who was walking with you? In other words, go back a step because you mentioned sure. you reached out to your sponsor and all of that. She was a believer and she was walking that way. So were you a believer ahead of time and you were seeking out somebody that shared that belief or was it, how did that relationship help you in that journey? So when you get into an Al-Anon or an AA program, they highly encourage that you get a sponsor right away. I didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Because you got this. I didn't do it because I can handle it, right? Scott, I got this. I'm intelligent. I'm capable. I have degrees. I can earn money. I can do all these things. I didn't expect to be on 20 acres out in the middle of nowhere in Colorado in the snow right before Christmas with 400 chickens, two dogs, two horses, and two kids. That just didn't compute in my world. But I had secured the sponsor before the major incident with my husband. Now, the major incident with me happened earlier. I had secured the the sponsor sponsor before that couple years into the program i was we were already in program but a couple years into the program i didn't need a sponsor i could handle it we were going to fix it blah 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 when you go to get a sponsor the suggestion is look for somebody who has what you want Mm. she had a very christ-centered life was active. We didn't go to the same church, but was active in her church. Her husband had been in recovery probably 10, 15 years by that time. She had two, two children, two adult children who were doing fine, even though they had been through all this situation before. Her story was somewhat similar to mine, at least I thought. And I said, I pick you. <laughs> <laughs> And then what sponsors say, this is so hard to hear. What sponsors say is, let me go home and pray about it. Let me think about if this is going to work in our schedule Mm -hmm. and I will get back with you. So when you've worked off all this courage to go in and ask somebody, you're basically asking them to be your friend. (laughs) Will you be my 
And it's a pretty big commitment to be a sponsor. It's uh, a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment. Because you've got to so, be there at two in the morning, whenever there's a breakdown, you know, to yes. some degree, you've got to be there for that phone call. Whenever you're like, I just tried to kill my husband. You've got to be yes. there for that conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Know. And the, and there are some courtesies around that. Sure. But, it, but, yeah. but to have them say, I'm not sure. Let me do this. And she didn't say, I'm not sure. She said, and rightly, let me go home and pray about it. Because she wanted to know if she was in alignment, if taking on me was something else. And taking on me was a lot. I did do those <laughs> phone calls. I did all those. She's Tiny, you have to breathe because I can't understand, I can't understand what you're, you're saying. saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, she said yes. And so when I did try and kill my husband, and th like I said, thankfully, he's stronger and a very gentle soul. She brought that reality to me and we had enough of a relationship that I let her speak into my life. Mm-hmm. I think I'm speaking as the child of an alcoholic and grew up in an alcoholic household and had my own experiences with alcohol. But I wanted to circle back to something you said earlier about speaking for yourself, how you had addictive behavior, just not with a substance. Yes. For, yes. Uh, and how do you think that bigger picture of, Let's step back from substance abuse and just think about that kind of addictive behavior or whatever name, whatever label we, we want to give it. How do you think that addictive behavior is that is bigger than just, in other words, for somebody out there that's, hey, I don't have a problem with substance abuse. But if they actually looked at it through a different lens, there's still that sign of underlying addiction, so to speak. How does how do you see that operating in the world? I think there's a couple different ways to talk about it. So Gaber Mate, who is becoming just bigger and bigger on his theories around addiction, he describes it as something that you are using to move away from pain into pleasure that will eventually become destructive. Okay. I can, and I then I would say, I think that's a good definition. <laughs> It's a great definition. It's really simple. I would say anything that is keeping you from your purpose, your most committed relationships, and the life that you would choose to lead and is creating destructive patterns. So mm -hmm. mine would be similar. I would add idolatry to it. Mm -hmm. So anything that you're putting before God. And for me, I did a lot after the full break and our separation happened. We're still married, but at, we did a separation for a while. Sure. Um, I really had to work around the idolatry of my children mm. was that I'm doing all this for my kids. I'm fixing this for my kids. I'm fixing you husband for my kids. So my kids will have a daddy. I will make this work. As long as I was putting them before God, I was still playing God. And that it, it is a relationship addiction, not the romantic relationship addiction, but it is still a relationship addiction because if the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connection, I kept looking for this connection. What I wanted was somebody to tell me, I love you. You're worthy. I will always be with you. 
Who is capable of that? Who is capable of that all the time? Nobody on this plane. So it's got to be God. And then in Gabramate's scenario, and he openly talks about this, his was to classical music. He is going and buying CDs. He's buying CDs he already has. He's supposed to be delivering a baby and he's buying classical music. Anything that takes you away from your God-given purpose and will eventually come to destruction. Shopping, workaholism, the relationship idolatry, the food is a huge one for us, but also this, I, you can, it gets so convoluted. You can do it in a social justice context Mm. that I've made this my higher power rather than a true higher power. Mm-hmm. And I'm not discounting that all that is good work. The question is, where are you really filling your tank? And for me, it's got to be with, for me personally, it's got to be with the Judeo-Christian God, the one that's described in the biblical New Testament, Old Testament text. Now, do I think God is big enough to show you other ways to do that? Sure. Honestly, I do. Yeah. This this is where I am grounding myself because it is what has pulled me out of total destruction and devastation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I have no problem and I've talked about it on the show before admitting that I think sometimes the route somebody else takes is not the same route as the route I've taken, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. That just means it's different. Yeah. <laughs> and again, at the end of the day, I think God is big enough that the labels we put on God are probably not good enough anyway. So are full enough. I mean, God, I think God's bigger than the labels we put on God. Uh, so when you think about uh, somebody's hearing this today and they're maybe they're reflecting on either their own situation or their partners or the, the, the dynamic, the two of them have, how, do you see some of the best ways that people can support a partner that's going through it or even themselves at some level, if maybe they're the one going through it, what are some of the positive steps that they can take to help each other begin to move towards some type of recovery? Sure. And there's so many more now, even in those last 10 years, there's so many more now that are, COVID did us a favor. You can drop into a meeting any time of day, anywhere, any type of meeting. There's all kinds out there. And one of the new movements is based on some work by Robert Myers, the craft movement, and Invitation to Change. And it is not like the old model of Everything's got to stop. You've got to go to cold turkey. You've got to go to a 30-day treatment center. The All of those really mm, can be very devastating to the family methods. W- one of the first things to do is some awareness, is really keep a journal of what is actually happening. Not what you think is happening, <laughs> but what is actually happening, you know, did the paycheck go in 
the joint account. Did you go to work? Did he go to work? Did you fight six times this week or four times this week? What is really happening? And I encourage people to journal because you're going to start getting your own thoughts out there as well. And I have some great prompts for all of that. The other piece is to learn about boundaries. Now, I've even got it on my desk. (laughs) Oh, this is non-video. I won't show it then. Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Townsend have a book that's been out for a long time about boundaries. And people always think that boundaries are, and if I may, can I tell a little story? Sure, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So here I am. I got two kids at home. I'm out here on 20 acres. I have neighbors, but they are at a distance, right? And my husband's not coming home. He would eventually come home, but I'm calling around the friends. I'm calling over to the bars. I'm looking for him, all those types of things. I'm like, you need to come home. You need to come home. And I have said to him over and over again, can you please come home by 11? I know you work till nine, but can you please get home by 11? I need you in the house. So I know where you are. So all these types of things. So that is what people think a boundary is. Okay. That me setting a boundary for you saying, Scott, I need you to do this. And you, Scott, as an adult male, as an adult, anybody is, you can ask, but you can't tell me because I have choices. So we could come to an agreement. I I could, I could choose to not come home at 11. Or you could choose like he did to say yes, and then do what he pleased. And then do it anyway. Yeah. So that, that really clearly is not a boundary. I am not. My husband is 250 pounds. He is very muscular. I am not going to pack up the three and five-year-olds, roll them down the driveway, go 22 miles into town, and carry him out of the bar. It's not going to happen. I can't enforce this. So it's not a boundary. I go to my Al-Anon group, and they say, oh, honey, that's not a boundary. We're going to tell you what a boundary is. A boundary is only something you have control over and you can enforce. Mm -hmm. So in this situation, what I had control over was to turn off the phone, turn off the lights and go to bed so I could get up in the morning and take care of those most precious people who really needed me. Because my real issue was not having him home. My real issue was getting myself regulated so that I could go to bed and get up and take care of my children. I was leaving my regulation to him. So setting the boundary was about setting the boundary for me. And that's what I really suggest to a lot of people. And then the third piece, and this is one that you're going to find a little bit of a struggle with sometimes is look for things that are going right. Mm. Always look for things that are going right and help things go right. So if dinner is happening and you're all sitting down to dinner, which is a great family time, and you can talk about things that are going right, they're going to want to come back and have dinner with you. But if you sit down to dinner and go, it's nice of you to show up. Glad that you got here today. I guess we can't really expect you tomorrow, but yeah, it's nice for you to be here. That just fuels it. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's easy, but the more you can help things go right and the more you can talk about these positive things, those are three little steps you can do. Now, most people need more help than that. Most people need to work out like I did, 
what's going on in their own hearts and minds so that they can live in their own integrity. And then you can begin to help the other person. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot too about, we've talked about treatment and support and sponsors and these sorts of things and some of the other options that are out there. How is recovery not just you mentioned earlier, going to the 30 day, you, you go away for 30 days and now everything's fixed, right? You come home and everything's perfect, even though you come back to the exact same environment that you left. And yes, you do. Yeah, and it hasn't changed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so how is it bigger than that? You know, why, why is recovery more than just go get some treatment or go to a meeting or that kind of thing? So think back to now, if you had kids or you have nieces or nephews, at one point, they probably had a mobile over their crib and the mobile spins and it does what it does. If you touch any point on that mobile, it changes the whole dynamic of that mobile, right? So here's what I have seen in my own life and in the, and the women that I work with lives. When they began to do self-care, to do boundaries, to take care of themselves and not in a way that puts somebody else down in a way that takes care of themselves. It taps the mobile and begins to change what is going on. Mm-hmm. The addict's best chance of long-term recovery is if the family chooses to deal with their issues too. Each family member chooses to deal with their issues too. What we have learned is we send that person away for 30 days. Maybe they get it. Maybe they don't, right? 30-day recovery doesn't have a high rate of success. We send them away for 30 days, take them out of their environment because that's been the theory. But then they come back to crazy time at home. (laughs) Right, because and, and maybe like, well, even worse changed. because we they've been gone for you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had a lot of women say they got to go away for thirty days and and have their meals made and work on themselves and have this quiet time and be with other people. I've been holding it together all this time, and they get to do that, and I still have to hold the bag. Not cool. So if you're coming home to that environment, that's problematic. How it has shifted is there are a lot of programs that talk about support for the family. What the family used to get was one week, maybe one day of support in learning about what's happening. And then back to Gabra Mate's theory, it's not about the addiction. The addiction is the solution. There's pain and the addiction is the solution to that pain until it's not, until it causes its own pain. Where's the pain? So working with the family is about, okay, What is the bondage that's holding this in place? How are we continuing to recreate the scenario? Just like the dinner scenario that I just talked about was, if you're just going to be snappy, crabby, and ugly at the dinner table when they choose to sit down with you, why would they come back? Mm -hmm. So that has what is shifted in in the last... We've known for a long time that it's been an issue, but nobody's wanted to deal with it because it's slippery. Because the people who are in the family are like, if they just clean up their mess, it'll be fine. No, it's not fine. Because there's a reason why that mess is there. And there's a precursor to that reason that needs to be cleaned up too. has a lot to do with forgiveness. And how we get there is creating a space for that to happen. And if it is like my house, where it was everybody else's fault, but the person who was actually doing the action, self-included, 
then there is no space for that. So it's about stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, both for the person that is suffering from the addiction, the the substance abuse, but that larger system that they're placed in is part of what you have to heal to really heal the whole situation. Let's put suffering where it is. Everybody is suffering. (laughs) Otherwise, the other people in the family would be like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. 15 beers a night or being at work for 80, 90 hours a week. Just no big deal. We'll just live our lives without you. That's the disconnection. So we could live independently and disconnected, but that's not why God put us in families. God put us in families to build community. We build that community, then we go out and build more community, and then we expand the community. What we're seeing, and I fully believe in it, is when the family breaks down, the rest of the community starts to break down. We don't know our neighbors. We're not participating in school activities. We're not doing civic stuff because it's a mess, and we're totally disconnected, and we're just drowning. So I've got a few questions that I like to ask everybody, but before I do that, is there anything else about the work that you do with women uh, on this recovery journey and and families on this recovery journey that you'd like to share with the listener? I I think what I'd like to go back and reiterate is you are not God and you can't save him, nor did you cause it, nor can you cure it nor can you control it. So let's take that burden off your back. On the other hand, what you can do is you are not powerless to make changes in your life that will dramatically affect how your marriage and your family functions. So my brand is Inspired Stewardship, and I run things through that lens of, of stewardship. And yet that's one of those words I've discovered over the years means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when you hear that word stewardship, what comes to mind for you and what does the impact of that understanding have on you? So when I hear that, I think of the parable of the talons. And when you look at this in a biblical context, we've all been given talents and abilities and ways to serve other people. And we can take that and as one of the person who got the least did say, oh, I'm afraid to use that. I'm just going to bury it and I'm not going to grow it in the way that God would like me to use it for service. Or we can take it and see where our talent is. And that may be in hospitality. And that may be making a meal. That may be watching somebody's kids so they can get to a meeting. That may be that may be offering donations. I It may be getting really deep in the work like you and I do and opening up that can of worms. I see it as what are my talents? How can I share that with the world to increase the kingdom, to increase that that you are creative, resourceful, and whole. And to confirm that for you, to walk with you in it, and to hold space for you. So this is my favorite question that I like to ask everybody. Uh, Imagine for a minute that I invented this magic machine. and, And with the machine, I could pluck you from where you are today and magically transport you into the future, maybe 150, maybe 250 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back and see your entire life 
and see all of the connections, all of the ripples, all 400 chickens, uh, every impact that you'd left behind in the world. What impact do you hope you've left behind? I am missional about helping families. What we've got to do is shift this generational understanding that we're powerless. I know that because of the walk that we've done and we took our kids with us, they went to celebrate recovery. We went to the Betty Ford's children's program. We've talked about this. I know that has helped shape their life and their choices. What I want to do, and and I'm trying to pick a number of how many families I'd like to help between now and the next 30 years or so of getting them the information and the resources they need to make choices for themselves. Because as we talked about earlier, there's different paths. So I would like to look back on that and say, oh, yeah. This family was able to be really loving and nurturing with themselves and their children. This divorce didn't happen because they made some choices and I planted a small seed. Again, it's God who does the work, but I was able to plant a small seed and say, hey, you have choices. You're not powerless. You can make some different decisions that 10 years from now will drastically change your life. And I've got to ask, because I would be remiss if I let you get off the show and uh, I would get an angry email from somebody. (laughs) So go back and explain the 400 chickens. (laughs) So this was a really interesting experience. So we moved out on these 20 acres and 20 acres in Colorado is not really, it could be big somewhere in South Carolina and you could have horses and maybe a couple cows on it, but we could pasture maybe for three weeks at a time. So my husband decided that he wanted to do a Joe Saladin raised chickens. We were reading, oh, what's the guy that did the all the food conversation? Oh, it slips my mind. But we were reading about being sustainable, growing your own food, doing all that kind of stuff. Well, if you know anything about the high Rockies in Colorado, we just don't grow stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. It's not the most agricultural rich part of the country. No. Yeah. It's hard. And Saladin was in like South Carolina or somewhere where they had all kinds of pasture. So my husband gets a box of chickens. My kids are young. They send them in the mail. Did you know that? They send them in the mail. So you go down to the post office because we didn't get mail in our house. You go down to the post office. I've got a picture of my little three-year-old standing with all this little box of chicks and they're having a great time. And we get 25. Okay. 25 chickens. And then he starts building mobile coops to move them around. So then we have a hundred chickens, hundred layers. I'm like, okay, we got a hundred chickens. And then they just keep, we never were able to incubate. Somehow we just couldn't do that. They just keep coming in the mail. (laughs) And suddenly when the chicken subscription service, (laughs) chickens just keep showing up and showing up. And I am the funniest story is I'm out there with my kids and we have roosters because we're trying to, to get eggs and, to have be able to breed our own and the roosters are big we've got three big roosters i've got the dog out there but we've trained him not to get the chickens because we don't want him to kill the chickens right we've said don't do it he's a boxer don't do it don't do it don't do it so all his life he said don't do it don't do it don't do it i'm on the swing set 
And I'll be darned if that big rooster is not running for my three-year-old. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to happen. Yeah, a rooster could be. (laughs) I'm trying to get him off, and he's not getting off. I run to the house. I get the shovel. I'm over there banging the chicken with the shovel. And I'm telling the three-year-old to run to the house, run to the house. Chicken is cocking up with his spurs and all that stuff. And I look at that dog, and I'm like, get the chicken. <laughs> that was all he needed. He took off after that rooster. That rooster went flying that way. I took the kid, ran in the house. It was scary. Those guys can be really scary. Oh no, roosters so, are big and they can be mean. <laughs> from that day for I said Jerry came home, my husband came home. I said that I said that rooster's got to die. He's like, which one? That one. I said and so that night that rooster <laughs> the, the the one with lumps his on his head from a shovel. That's that one. right. <laughs> He met his end. My husband went out and took care of him. But then from that moment on, when we got new chickens, we really had to watch the dog because he would go, he'd get one and he'd throw it up in the air and eventually he'd kill it. And then he'd be really bored. He's like, why is it not moving? Why is it not moving? So we had to watch the dog, but that was probably one of the worst things. But we were doing eggs. We were doing eggs for a local five star and they were making homemade ice cream out of it. And we attempted meat birds. They look like foghorn, leghorn, mm-hmm. red and white. Dumb, really dumb. When you move the mobile coop, they go back to exactly where the coop was. They sit on each top of each other because they don't like being out there open and they smother each other <laughs> or they drown in their water dish or they do all that kind of stuff. So, so you're saying Scott, not the brightest creatures never- in the world. <laughs> Yeah, if I never, ever saw a chicken outside of its cellophane package where it had been skinned and put in something that I could make dinner for, I will be perfectly happy. <laughs> four, four, 400 chickens is a good amount of chickens. <laughs> so, sorry, I just had to, I had to go ahead and get that story out or else I knew I'd get an angry email from somebody. <laughs> it's one, anything that you start, you're we had this many and then we had this many. Wow. Now we have 400 chickens running around. You don't know how you got there. I, I, I actually serve on a board for a nonprofit and we do uh, sustainable farming and gardening. We work with autist or autistic youth and young adults and teach them gardening and farming skills and animal husbandry skills. And so we actually have chickens that we use for that, but it's not 400. It's no. it's like 20. So. No. So a set of house chickens, 12 chickens. So you can have eggs. A set of house chickens is fine, but 400 chickens, believe me, you don't want it. <laughs> so what's coming next for you as you finish out the year and, and move into 2024? So I am super excited. I am working with women right now and I'm expanding my Dancing with Joy program. And the idea is that God calls us to dance with him. He calls us to dance with him. And that's what brings the rest of our life into alignment. So as we're working on that, we're working on how do you become that cherished wife? How do you do less and connect more? And then always that generational legacy, because we're training the next set of husbands and wives. So how do you teach them to look for the source rather than to turn to resources? Or as I did, a job, a man, more money, whatever is going to fill me up. 
So that's a program that I'm running right now where we've really got some great things going on, especially around boundaries. And then the last thing I just did a conversation on was the anatomy of a peaceful heart and how that changes how you step into the conversations with your loved ones. You can find out more about Tanya Joya on her website. It's over at tanyajoya.com. That's T-A-N-Y-A-G-I-O-I-A.com. Of course, I'll have a link to that over in the show notes as well. Tanya, anything else you'd like to share with the listener? Absolutely. I am, I administer a Facebook group called Rise Above Addiction. Love to have you join us there. You can find it anywhere on Facebook. We do live trainings on Fridays, and then you can really get to know the group, get to know me, and we would love to pray for you. So be sure and hop on the website. We will have the Facebook there. We'll have the Dancing with Joy uh, program there as well, and would love to be talking to you about how you are not powerless and you are the expert in your family and how you can shift this for more love and more joy. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures develop your influence, and impact the world.